Welcome back to the Equally Well podcast, everyone. It's Andre here from The Mental Health, and I'm here today with Alan Cohen, a recently retired GP uh, with a wealth of experience in mental health. Many of you will know Alan. So Alan, starting off, why would you say physical health is such a big issue for people living with severe mental illness? The, the major issue and the major difficulty with physical health for people with severe mental illness is that it shortens their life uh, considerably by at least 15 to 20 years because of the physical health problems associated with severe mental illness. Uh, And these physical health problems are predominantly conditions that are treatable and controllable, conditions like diabetes, cardiovascular disease and respiratory disease. It's a really complicated picture because these diseases are not only more common in people with severe mental illness, but they're also more difficult to manage. And the underlying reasons for them both being more common and difficult to manage are multifactorial. There's lots of different reasons why um, conditions are more, these physical health conditions are more common in severe mental illness. So in part, yes, it's down to medication. Certainly antipsychotic medication uh, makes people put on weight, increases the risk of diabetes, makes their blood a bit more sticky, so they're more likely to have cardiovascular disease and clots. Um, But that's not the only story. Uh, There is a significant genetic link, for example, between diabetes and severe mental illness. This genetic link was noticed back in the 1890s by Sir Henry Maudsley that diabetes was more common in people with schizophrenia. And that was well before antipsychotic medication was even invented. There's a whole separate set of of, uh, issues and factors around the social consequences of severe mental illness. In that if one is unemployed, if one is living on benefits, uh, it's much harder to live a eat a diet which is full of fresh fruit and, uh, and vegetables, uh, high quality meat. It, it's, it's much harder to do those sort of things um, because income is, is poor and restricted. Um, if you have to, if you don't have time to go and take exercise because you are uh, li- living on the streets, working hard, uh, trying to maintain yourself, they're all very difficult things to do uh, for people with severe mental illness. There is A fourth reason, just to make this even more complicated, is that uh, talking to uh, physicians, especially GPs, they tend to ascribe every symptom that a patient might complain about. Uh, It gets ascribed to the mental illness. This is called diagnostic overshadowing. So you might have the situation where a patient with schizophrenia might complain about pain in their tummy, for example, and the GP says, oh, no, no, don't worry, that's, that's just down to, uh, it's down to your schizophrenia, we'll ignore that. But in anybody else, it would be examined and investigated in a quite different way. So that there are a number of different reasons, broad reasons, why physical health is such a big, big issue, because it shortens their life, but also, It's actually very complicated to unpick the various causes and what one can do about it. So we've kind of touched on this already, the fact that 
the, 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 the kind of group of organisations and individuals who you interact with as somebody living with mental and physical illness is very diverse. And, you know, the, the group of organisations involved in this Equally Well UK collaborative is um, as diverse. Um, yes. It's a real kind of coordinated national effort. Um, why do you think that kind of joined up initiative is so important to tackle this problem? When we started this podcast, and you asked me the first question, why did I think it was important? I ran through about four or five different reasons why the physical health of people with severe mental illness is such a problem and difficult to improve. And it spanned a whole set of, whole set of issues, from genes through to the consequences of deprivation and social isolation. That's a very broad area from, you know, very advanced scientific medicine to social policy. Um, and in order to, to uh, bring those groups together, th those people who can influence that little bit, you need them to work together uh, in this learning network, this collaboration that equally well has become. So just dealing with, for example, the genetics or statistics in itself isn't going to solve the problem. You still need to deal with the other bits as well. It's all. It would be great to give everybody with severe mental illness their own home and, and a job, but actually it wouldn't stop their genes and it wouldn't stop the diabetes being poorly controlled. So we need to do all the bits, and they're very diverse, and, we need, and there is no current organisation that brings all these various bits together in a way that equally well does. And what do you think the challenge is then working in a collaborative with all those different sorts of organisations and all those different kinds of personalities? <laughs> well, you just said, you said what, the, what the challenges are. We all have a slightly different approach and a different perspective. And as Equally Well is slowly getting up and running, we're beginning to learn what those challenges are and hopefully how to overcome them. We are faced with people wanting to help and wanting to be involved. And they're, they're the people that you would expect, those in mental health trusts, those in CCGs, in the local authority and the broader uh, voluntary sector. Interestingly, we have had difficulty in contacting some of the voluntary sector for the long term conditions like Diabetes UK, British Heart Foundation, the British Lung Foundation. Uh, and we we really do need to include the, these groups as well. Um, for to, 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 get, to make this a more effective collaboration. Um, I think the benefits, one of the strong benefits that we've got is that we have the, uh, a clinical advisory group that includes all the uh, Royal Colleges and we have a lived experience group that is very broad and has lots and lots of experience and knowledge in this area. And the two groups uh, are interlocking uh, which allows us to share the knowledge and experience from the other group. It really feels to me like this is a problem where there's no excuse from an evidence perspective because we have the evidence that this is a problem and we have the evidence about how to solve it. It's a kind of implementation problem. We have the evidence that it's a problem. We have some of the evidence of what might work but not a lot. So, for example, we don't know what's very good around obesity in this particular group, but you're right, a lot of this is about implementation. So how would you prioritise the research 
questions in terms of what we don't know then? What do you think is the most important? Obesity, what else? I think the, the two things that I would like to achieve in the short term, say in the first year, is something around how to approach obesity in people with severe mental illness in a way that is acceptable and understandable to them. And secondly, to have a framework that will allow us to measure the benefits of whatever we develop later, uh, measured on a national basis. What I mean by that, which is a horrible jargon, I apologize, is that there isn't a national system yet of recording health outcomes for people with severe mental illness. That's why the National Diabetes Audit was so fantastic, because it was the first time anywhere in the world that we had a national audit of the care of people with diabetes and a severe mental illness. We shouldn't underestimate how, it, how important that was or how late it was in, be, in being delivered. Um, the National Diabetes Audit were great. They did it really quickly when they were asked. But we really haven't had anything comparable anywhere else in the world. Um, so we need to have access to good data so we can demonstrate whether something about, by the changes that are measured in these statistical ta uh, data, whether they're actually having a benefit or not. There's no point jumping up and down and doing things if we don't know it has a, a good outcome. So, so what I would, would be looking for from a clinical perspective in the first year is a plan around obesity uh, and something around developing a specific set of data around the physical health needs of people with severe mental illness. And I think you'll find at the launch of Equally Well on September the 13th, that both of these issues will be discussed in more detail uh, after the charter has been signed. Mm -hmm.